This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. We have enemies within our country. I think it's a combination of demonology and psyop. The citizens are going to rise up and become deputized. I have always supported President Trump. I, I like the way he talked. He reminded me of most men. Joe Biden last night in the debate, hes it's like he's not even a human being. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represented extremism. Can you imagine repatriating all the black Americans that Pat just spoke about to Africa? Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, or even out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. And look... We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'll be your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 and hey. How you doing out there, podcast peeps? It's your boy, the host of uh, Profane Faith, Daniel White Hodge. It's uh you're listening it's good to have you back uh thanks for tuning in if this is your first time as always welcome welcome to the show profane faith um a lot's going on a lot um as always another mass shooting in texas as of at least this time of airing the show uh here in 2023 i'm forgetting what the number we're up to but we're i know we're in triple digits um when it comes to uh, mass killing so that you know the killings continue um, and this time, at least I'm hearing that the guy, uh, sound like a Latin brother who was, uh, 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 doing the killing and was also wearing some, um, some racist, some white supremacist, um, some material on there. I'm forgetting where I was reading this morning, uh, talking about how, um, Texas leads the way with, uh, <laughs> white supremacist groups which you know it's not surprising none of this stuff is surprising right it's like oh yeah of course um it, yeah i'm trying to find it right now as as we're um as we're looking yeah here we go uh a mall shooting in texas uh again real time listening this is uh i think this happened on saturday a gunman opened fire at a crowded mall north uh, north of dallas yesterday killing at least eight people and wounding seven others before he was shot to death. The authorities said the shooting was the second deadliest in the U.S. this year. Um, Okay, here we go. There have been 199 shootings uh, of at least four people this year in the U.S. Um, According to the Gun Violence Archive is the database uh, put out by the Washington Post. Um, They said, uh, let's see, this is... uh, last week outside of Houston, of course, a gunman shot to death five people uh, after neighbors. We heard about that, right? They finally caught the dude, uh, but he, you know, the the neighbors went and told. They were like, "Hey, man, you know, can you cut it, cut it down?" Because I guess he was shooting in his yard, and they had like babies and everything, and they were like, "Hey, we're just trying to get the kids to sleep." And uh, the dude came over and like killed uh, people in that house, and they finally caught him. 
Texas has some of, of course, the country's most permissive gun laws, priding itself on being a state uh, with more than one million gun holders, despite its uh, recent history of mass shootings. Um, let's see. They talk about this. Let's see. The gunman got out of his car around 3.30 p.m., then started shooting at people on the sidewalk. Um, here we go. Witnesses describe a familiar sense of uh, pandemonium. Of course, uh, that's the case anytime, you know, you get shot at. Um, let's see. Where is it at here? Um, because he was wearing a, um, oh, they were saying that he was wearing, because they gave his name too, man. I'm trying to see where, where they, where they gave it. Uh, my point in saying all this is that with that, again, you know, this, the, the madness just continues to happen. Um, I think it's, whoo, I mean, what do you mean? And what do you do? Right. It's like, we're, we're reaching a point that. We're, we're, I'm not sure if we're able to come back from uh, we're losing our civility. I think once civility is lost, once a sense of humanness is lost, it's difficult to come back from, right? Because it like the level of of hate, the level of violence, the level of of sheer just despising of others just gets to an all time high, right? It's just kind of just it's like mutually assured destruction, right? It's 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 one thing leads to another. It's um, one person shoots another person drops a bomb. Right. It just keeps escalating. It's kind of like gang violence. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I don't know. I just I kind of just shake my head because I'm just like it, this is this is some crazy stuff. And um, I'm curious just as a researcher. Uh, what is the lure of Latinx folks uh, to white supremacist groups um, and and how they get connected with that? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, that's something that I'm trying to put my head around. And of course, I know I can hear people. Hey, man, you know, just because, you know, you're Latinx or you're Asian doesn't make you not not racist. I, I, I get that. I get that. I get those perspectives. And we're all not a monolith. Um, but when there's that much hate, because the thing is, you know, that when, when, it, when there's that much hate that exists in an organization, but I also realize that black is always on the bottom, right? If we're going to, if we're going to poo poo, uh, um, races, black is always going to be on the bottom. Um, we have no land. We have no, uh, or particularly here in Africa, you know, in, in, in the United States, African-Americans, you know, we don't have any kind of power per se. Uh, we don't have political power. We don't have economic power. Um, the most we can do is entertain, right? And trying to maintain some sense of dignity. Tupac talked about this damn near 30 years ago. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah, man, it's, um, it, it's some, it's some crazy shit. So I, it, I, I struggle. This is why I feel stuck because I feel like we know exactly what to do. There has been manifestos written out in regards of what to do to make things change. Okay. There has been books and not just popular books, academic books. There have been scholarly monographs that have put out, been put out there. Great readers um, that have been put out there talking about what to do, how to solve some of these problems. You think about homelessness. That is a human made uh, uh, problem. You think about um, 
even taxes, right? Those are human made issues. When you think about uh, poverty, those components are human made. These aren't just natural things that just happen in the earth and we're just standing there with our hands in the air, right? Like, I don't know how that happened. I have no idea that, no, bro, this ain't no black hole. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't astrophysics. This isn't quantum theory. These are human made issues and people have been talking about this for a long time, but we refuse as a society, as politicians, as police to do anything about it. And so things are beginning to escalate. That's why I'm not interested in talking about having another talk or even going to a conference for that matter. Uh, that's only talking about some of the same old damn things over and over and over. Now, I'm not saying I'm not trying to kind of high road it here. I get that that's how it comes off. Um, but I, I am trying to just get us to realize like we there, there needs to be a change. And are we going to lean into what's already been laid out in terms of, for example, just talking about the means of production uh, and dealing with socioeconomics, right? The poverty. People have been talking about that for a long time time um in regards to what has to happen for equity to happen for equality uh but there's too many hands in the cookie jars uh that are getting fed from those cookies uh that don't want to give up that power they don't want to give up that um that sense of <laughs> connectivity uh to their 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 means to their money to their power their wealth um so we continue to have those things right we know the problems with the police We've been knowing that. If you study your history, you know the police were designed and, and built around killing black folks in this country, killing Native Americans, okay? Um, that's the history of law enforcement. And so what, police reform? Why? Well, first of all, I ain't seen real, no real police reform. Uh, and we're just waiting for the next, you know, black body to be killed. I mean, we heard about the, what is it, the brother that was on the, the train that got killed by a, an ex-Marine. That shit continues to happen. Um, I want y'all to hear a clip real quick um, from Stokely Carmichael. If you don't know who he is, uh, look him up. Um, you should know who he is. You're reading some of his stuff. Uh, and he's talking about power and about just how capitalism holds down black folk. But here, let me let y'all listen to this and then we'll come back and talk about it. Cool? All right. White people are able to enforce racism through capitalism. That's how they amass their power. And uh, racism is really a question of power. That's all it is. It's whether or not one race has, has more power to, to inflict punishment on another. For example, if a white boy wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he lynches me, it's my problem. Thus, it behooves me to build as much power as I can to protect myself against racism and also to destroy the base that gives the racist the reality power, the power reality, to lynch me or to inflict power upon me. He amasses that through capitalism. Thus, it's my job to thoroughly dismantle that system, which will render him powerless. And once he's rendered powerless, then perhaps we can begin to deal with the question of, of, of racism. So I would not, I would not, again, the question of, there's no doubt that the, the major problem that the black man faces all over the world is a problem of economic exploitation. There's no, that's the core question. The answer is, how do you get to it? I know that the only way you can get to it is through politics. You must first politically organize before you can amass the economic power. I, may we take two? Okay. So, um, he makes some really good points in regards to how capitalism in, is being engaged and, and, and how 
It is holding down black folk. I, I'm I'm with pretty much 95, 98% of what he's saying. I think as he's talking about it, and I'm, and I'm forgetting the year this was recorded. This was definitely back uh, 70s, early 70s um, on this panel. I know, um, oh my gosh, I am spacing on her name. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, she's big. Uh, she's defended herself. I guess I know some people say, this is her, this is her. Angela Davis. That's who I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, she's on this panel as well. And there's, you know, this having this large conversation. Um, but I think I, I'm trying to figure out, because I think back in the day, and I'm not knocking what Stokely Carmichael had to say as much as I'm saying, we have, black folks have been in positions now of political power. Like that couldn't be said 50, 60 years ago, right? Um, that couldn't be said in that era. But now... <laughs> We're in a different era. Uh, hell, we had a black president. Uh, what 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 good was that other than stirring up a bunch of hate? So I'm guess I, I, again I'm I'm asking myself how do we get out of this? Because we've been had people of color in positions of power in in politics, um, and sure some good has been done. Um, but we're still dealing with this rise in hate. We're still dealing with this sense. As a black man, I think about this every time I walk out my door. Okay. Every time I walk out my door, I think, well, first, do I have my ID? Right? Do I have those things that I need in case the occupiers of the police, right? Or anyone who thinks they're the police, right, pulls me over and tries to ask me for my ID. I need to make sure I have that, you know, um, as a black man, I'm, I am aware of these things, aware of the situation I am in. Yesterday, I was at a, um, a horse lesson. As you know, following the podcast, my daughter's into horses, like equestrian, like jumping horses and the sport of equestrian. Uh, they ain't a lot of black folk there. In fact, I was the only one out of maybe 150 people in that arena and people walking around. I was the only black person. So I'm conscious of that. Okay. Now, nobody said anything crazy. Uh, nobody looked at me, you know, crazy, but they don't have to. <laughs> okay. Um, because it's cool until it's not. And when it's not, it's really not. And we're not, and we're to the, to the space now where it escalates to a whole nother level real quick. Okay. Um, so I think about that. Every time I walk out the door, every time I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to give you like hyperbole. I'm I'm just I'm just telling you these are the things that I think about. Now, I also get that there is racial fatigue, especially among the younger generations of African-American folks. A lot of folks just want to avoid it altogether so they don't even engage it and they'll downplay it and they'll they'll they, you know, what I'm saying they'll they, I think about. A good example of this is current top 10, top 20 uh, hip hop artists. Okay. I would venture to say, well, I will say uh, that 98% of them, if not 100% of them, are not engaged in social political uh, issues. Now, this is a whole nother conversation I want to get into, especially on this show. Uh, but so much of the elements of hip hop, the core of what hip hop was, is not present in hip hop anymore. Okay. And the stuff, I've been saying this for a long time, the stuff that we hear on the radio um, is not what the culture was meant to be because the culture is no longer, the, the, the core of popularized hip hop is not 
owned by black folks anymore. We done sold out. That stuff was sold a long time ago. Okay. Um, what we have now is buffoonery. Um, and I know I sound old. I sound like I'm telling kids to get off my grass, which, by the way, looks really good right now, <laughs> fam. Uh, you know, I got my uh, biostimulants going. My uh, the soil temperature is looking good. Yeah, man, it's like a carpet out there. Uh, and FYI, you can walk on it. That's the whole thing. So like you got to walk on the, uh, that thing and, 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 and enjoy the yard. Right. Anyways, side note, cliff note, footnote. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think about how rappers today don't want to engage uh, with any of the social political. We're talking about sex. We're talking about uh, all the crazy things we're going to do at the party. We're going to talk about drinking. We're going to talk about smoking weed. I'm not against any of these things. Okay. I think they have a time and a place. But there are some things facing black people right now that... I would say parts of the younger generation are there is again there's racial fatigue now that's a blanket statement i get that um some of this is anecdotal and just some of my own observations this is something that i'm wanting to take in more to actually put some data around it um you know because there are folks who are active and engaged it's like when people say oh oh why doesn't black lives matter care about it you know the black on black crime i mean it's just a stupid statement to begin with it's an ignorant one uh but there have been nobody cares more about black on black violence or nobody cares more about the violence in our communities than other black people there's plenty of people doing amazing work uh out there um so I, I, I continually put out that we have a major, major issue that we have to engage with uh, that we're uh, ignoring. Um, and I know I want to introduce my guest. Uh, she's a friend, uh, colleague, and she's doing amazing work. I'm going to introduce her here in a second. I wanted to play another clip for you. <laughs> um, I am, because along with this, I'm also disturbed by the amount of black folk who... I'm disturbed by the amount of black folk who will stop at the door of race and racial justice equity, right? We'll, 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 we'll have these conversations about white supremacy. We'll have these conversations about social inequity, even economic inequity. But then when it comes to bodily autonomy, bodily uh, equity, uh, human sexuality and equity, social justice, uh, the door is stopped. One of the things that I'm disturbed about, particularly within the black community, and I'm speaking specifically now to the black community, um, is the use or the phrasing, uh, the alphabet people. Um, and it, what gets me is that it's a derogatory term referring to the LGBTQI uh, plus community. Um, and it's said and talked about in such a way that it's, it is manipulative and it also creates a sense of, well, we're better than that, right? We're losing our sense of masculinity. We're losing our sense of, of, uh, of blackness because someone says that, you know, they're black and trans. Um, let me play this little clip for you. And then you tell me, check this out. We want to see our people in position. That's what inspires us. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. Black leadership is absolutely necessary. I don't even think about what other people doing. I'm so focused on my people, black people in my community. I work in the hoods and the ghettos across America. 
When people say all power to the people, when that was coined, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, that meant something. Because there's a lot of power when it comes to people. We just have to organize it and be intentional when we do it consistent and we can't be scared of no alphabets. You feel me? Stop being fucking scared, man. That's our problem right now as people. We worry about the goddamn boogeyman and kids being murdered in our streets every single day. And don't nobody want to get up and do something unless the police kill somebody. Stop being scared. We got, you know, brothers, you know, I'm, I'm intentional about masculinity and being a masculine black man. These kids need to see masculine black men because we're under attack. So we put ourselves in a position of where we live and how we do that, we focus in on the streets. All right, so see what I mean? Um, I'm for the black community, fam, uh, but I'm for everybody. Um, I don't think social justice ends at just the racialized conversation. Um, black trans, black gay, black queer, those folks are getting hurt too. Are we just going to turn a blind eye to that because you don't agree with some social construct you've been taught to believe in, right? That marriage is only between a man and a woman and that the binaries that exist out there in regards to gender are the only ways that we can communicate uh, human sexuality. You're going you're to tell me that that's that we're, gonna, we're willing to see somebody be killed, be mutilated, be destroyed um, because of that. Uh, and, and I just refuse to. Uh, for me, uh, the, the 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 goal of equity, the goal of justice, the goal of just being human does not stop at just race. Um, you can say it's high road and you can say whatever you want. Uh, there's been discussions over. And, and what gets me is that some of these accounts out there will go in on places like Fox News, will go in on places, you know, like Breitbart Media, but then turn right back around and quote them, use their own videos when they're talking about LGBTQI issues. That's what gets me. We need to have a whole conversation just on that alone. <laughs> okay. Um, another account I follow, uh, the guy on here is talking about, his, his name is Major Turi999. Um, it's one of the accounts that I follow. Just, uh, you know, I follow a lot of folks. It doesn't mean I agree with them. I just follow them. One of one of it is I use a lot of these as, as pop-off discussions in classrooms to kind of build some education and pedagogy around this uh, and also for the podcast, right? Uh, this is what he says. He says, I'm over discussing my views on being aggressive towards groomers, reading sexual things to children in public spaces, uh, hiding being dragged. So he's talking about uh, how he doesn't want to have books, materials, library material uh, around drags and, and uh, drag queens. I've stated my position and I don't give a fuck about others view on it. I'm going to stand on my position while they tap dance for weirdos. Uh, again, to me, there is no kid friendly drag shit at all. It's grooming babies for sexual content. Even before the sexual content is read, if parents buy tickets to private spaces and take their children, it's weird as fuck but still not a public location. Big difference. As far as parents who willfully take their babies to private drag events in private, I think those parents are deviants, but I can't go into someone's private home and slap them. Best to isolate your child from those parents and let other sane parents know who the weirdos are. Tweeting rude, opposing views to my blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna, people are gonna get blocked. Um, 
with that being said, this government is devaluing your money, trying to force CBDCs, uh, destroying hundreds of food uh, processing plants uh, involved in massive human trafficking, trying to ban VPNs, using social media to silence dissent. Uh, these take priority to me. Um, it's interesting because some of the same uh, some of the same folks who are talking about um, uh, racist acts. This is what makes this this whole era that we're in right now so convoluted. So we got the racial piece, right? We've got the racial components, all those. But again, the minute we get into sexuality, it's like a, there are some black folks. I don't have numbers, but there are some black folks who will hop on that bandwagon in a second and go lockstep and key with Fox News, with Breitbart News, with, with some of these ultra right wing, even the conspiracy theories, you know, believing that, you know, all the Democrats are pedophiles and that all of the liberals are, are you know, eating children's semen or some, you know, some crazy shit like that. Um, so <laughs> some of these things are wild fam. And I'm just kind of like, really? So I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed by that. Um, I think that we have some major things that we got to contend with. Um, thanks for hanging with me in this kind of tirade, if you will. Um, the guest I have coming up is amazing. Um, she is, uh, uh she was a former student of mine. And um, uh, she was she took a couple of different classes. I remember meeting her actually when she was coming through as a, a junior in high school. This is back when I used to teach uh, in the youth men department. When I started, it was it was hell on hell on earth, boys. And then white folks didn't like none of none of the stuff I had to, had to teach. I remember one time I had made the class urban youth culture or requirement. It used to just be a, 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 a topics and a uh, what do you call it? The the elective, right? And I was like, oh no 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 no, we're gonna we're gonna make this required. And people were going through changes, boy. They're urban. I'm not gonna go work with those kids. So anyway, Melanie was not one of those. Uh, she ended up uh, doing a BA in psychology and um, religious, biblical and religious study studies. Uh, she was born, uh, raised, and educated in Chicago land. Uh, gra graduate of North Park University. And uh, she's currently finishing a master's in theology with a conference concentration in religious. Uh, oh, my religious and theogen. OK, and theogen. OK, I, I, E N T H E O G N. OK, I got got me on that word right there. Psychedelic use. Uh, she'll graduate in May 2023. Have two. Uh, they have. She has two other older sisters, two brothers, both through marriage. Uh, currently resides out in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, and has a few different positions in and areas of expertise, which you're about to hear about, uh, both from academic and personal life. Um, yeah, she uh, she identifies as queer and uh, Christian, uh, but not so much Christian. You you don't hear it. She has a very interesting um, and amazing story and i wanted to bring her on for several reasons one uh i've always enjoyed just her perspective and her bluntness about things uh, i actually had her come in uh, to my intercultural comm class and talk about uh, microaggressions she did a lot of work on microaggressions and whatnot because i think those are big as well and so anyways she came through 
and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get you uh, on this show because we got to talk about, you know, mental health, psychedelics, um, and just, you know, fitness, <laughs> all of those things, right, play a role in how we engage. So check this out. This is Melanie, a good friend of mine, uh, Melanie Lofgren. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Enjoy this talk. All right, well, let's kick this thing off. Um, well, Melanie, first of all, uh, thank you for joining me on the show and uh, for agreeing to to come on. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the first question that I ask everybody is uh, what's been happening from birth to now? What's uh, what, what has shaped the great Melanie? You know, I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, your, your podcast was my top podcast last year. Oh my gosh. Why? Thank you. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great gym workout. Um, <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Um, uh, I, what's been happening? A lot of learning and unlearning. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. That's my, my short answer. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so or suburbs of Chicago, rather the west suburbs, DuPage County. Okay. Um, so one of the wealthier areas in the nation. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I grew up in the evangelical church, and so my journey. I'm in California now in seminary, finishing up my last semester. Mm -hmm. Yay! Yes. Um, so. Yeah, the church has done a number on me. Um, <laughs> Come on, we'll break it down. All right, so I I've been like doing a lot of like work and healing and therapy on this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And actually, last not last weekend, two weekends ago, maybe three now, I actually got to preach on um, the manipulation of the church, which was really cool. Um, okay. So I don't, I don't think I used manipulation in my sermon, but essentially that's what I was speaking on. Um, but anyway, back to the point, I'm going to get off on so many random tangents. And so please bring that's me okay. back. That's okay. Come um, on. So yeah, grew up evangelical and it was my entire life. Um, I got to the point where it felt like I was treating my youth pastor more as a parent than my actual parents. Mm. Um, and I have a great relationship with my parents. My parents are wonderful people. Um, you can't do anything to disappoint them, to turn them away. They've always been there to support me. And wow, like, I love them to death. Um, and so just goes to show the power that a pastor has. Um, and so early in my college years, um, not early, like, yeah, super early, like right when I got to college, I, there was this person that was in my new friend group that I just became obsessed with. And I was like, oh, I really like her. Like, I want to be her best friend. And then I was like, oh, I'm gay. Um, I don't want to be your friend. I want to be your girlfriend. Um, and that's kind of where everything started to unravel. Okay. Um, and so I did a lot of like work and just came to the conclusion, you know, homosexuality is not wrong. Um, of course, 
the institution that I was at and the denomination I was in would say otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the a couple months later, so still freshman year in college, it was April. It was April fifth, fourteenth. April fourteenth. Still remember the date. All right. My youth pastor sent me an email. He was um, my reference for two jobs at denominational institutions, one at a church, and I got hired to revamp their entire middle school program. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the other one was a uh, assistant cook job at a camp. Um, and he sent me an email saying that he had informed my employers or asking me if I had informed my employers of my relationship status. Cause he somehow found out AKA stalked me on Facebook hardcore oh, um, and went off of a hunch from Easter because I had brought my then girlfriend and our best friend. So we were like all a group of women, all super close. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, we hold hands, all of those types of things, but he just assumed long story short, he informed my employers that I was gay, took my story and just told it um, without my permission or even without my knowledge that he even knew I was queer. And at this time I wasn't fully out. I was yeah. out to um, my immediate family, a couple close friends. And then um, am I allowed to say the institution name? Cause I know you don't. <laughs> I, you say whatever you want and you, whatever you feel comfortable with. All right. So And I was out to people who like asked me at North Park. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) Um, that's where it kind of all all started. Um, And because I was still a staunch Christian and believed that you had to be nice. um, Also, growing up in the Midwest, it's just a culture of niceties. Yeah. um, you you don't you're not assertive you don't say things as it is um and then also being a woman that's just amplified so long story short i thought what i had to do was forgive him and give him grace immediately mm, okay that's what i did okay. and that's what i've done with every single relationship in my entire life um if someone hurt me if someone did something wrong um yeah. i would forgive them immediately and give them grace and not mention the conflict of the thing at all. Um, wow. Because I had to rise above because that's what a good Christian does. And that's how you convert people. Um, so I forgave him. Um, then I met with the, actually the person who hired me at the church. And he said, look, I really wanted you here, but I had to go with the church board. And unfortunately, you lost by one vote. Um, and he told me that I had every right to be angry. Um <laughs> and I needed to be. And so that was the point where I was like, oh, wait, I don't just have to be all lovey dovey right away. <laughs> and that's when I got angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I went back to that, to the church I grew up in where my youth pastor was uh-huh. um, that summer, like at the end of summer before sophomore year. And I went up to him and I said, look, you never apologized. You never said anything. You never acknowledged the harm you did. Long story short, he forgave me then and there. It's the only apology I've ever gotten. It was a half-assed apology that was given because I was calling him out for not taking ownership and responsibility. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. Flash forward to now Uh um, in California, finishing up my seminary degree, came in here thinking, I'm going to reconstruct my faith. We're going to bring it all back. 
<laughs> and I actually deconstructed it even more. I didn't know I could do that. And then <laughs> I'm not a Christian anymore. And I consider myself like this weird, I guess, multi-religious. Um, I practice whatever I feel I need in that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah. And in that process, I um, learned how to love myself for the first time ever. Mm. Um, mm. The moment... So a little back history, I have struggled with depression and suicidality since I was in fourth grade. Wow. Um, uh, the first time I attempted was in fifth grade. Um, and so I've struggled with mental health and things my whole life. And the, like, I'm not saying this to bash Christianity. I just, it's just the truth. The moment I said, no, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. And I'm not going to even try to be a Christian anymore in the future. If it happens, sure. But we're not going to try. I haven't had a single thought of self-harm or suicidality since. Mm. Oh, that's deep. Um, so, yeah, what I've been learning is that the my depression and suicidality was brought on by my Christian faith. Um, the one that I was specifically presented in living. Now, I also have ADHD, which means my brain naturally does an all or nothing thinking more than the average person. So it's this or that. And so when you apply that to the pressure and guilt that the church puts on you, just amplifies it. And so I would be going through a hard time and I'd turn to Jesus, give it all to Jesus and I'd be fine. But then a couple months later, it caught it all come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I realized was that it was coming back because I felt this guilt and shame and that I wasn't a good enough Christian. Mm -hmm. um, I would sometimes self harm because I was punishing myself for not being a good enough Christian. Wow. Um, and then I was punishing myself for punishing myself. And so it was just this vicious cycle that just perpetuated everything. But because Jesus kept taking me out of it, I thought Jesus was the way, but as it turned out, that's what kept me in the cycle. Wow. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot more, but I'll leave it there. For <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that's that last part, I think, is, is profound um, in regards to just how oppressive religious structures within Christianity can be, um, especially as it pertains to human sexuality, race. Um, I remember, you know, that, that those conversations when I first met you, you actually came as a, I think you were like a junior in high school and you came uh, into one of my classes. Uh, I was still you watched precious. I remember. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, oh man, that, those were some, some interesting times for myself to be, teaching in a youth ministry program that saw me as the enemy at every gate. Uh, but I won't get into that other than to say, I remember thinking, I was like, wow, this is a, a, a sharp young woman. Um, and what I loved about you, it was that at every turn you were growing and you were shifting um, because you started, I think you started youth ministry, right? As, as a major. Yeah. And then you ended up with psychology, right? Is that what, that's where you ended up or was it education? Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah, psychology. Yeah. So I appreciated that. And which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because I knew parts of your journey um, and just keeping in contact with you and just seeing the changes that you've done and the work that you've done on yourself, I think is profound and powerful uh, for folks to hear. And I don't just say that lightly because I know you've, you've gone through a lot. Um, 
Where do you find yourself now theologically then when you say like out there? And, and, and so on top of that, I would also ask what makes that so scary for some religious people, if that makes sense. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'll start just by saying how I view religion. Yes. Um, religion is a man-made structure, system, organization, whatever word you want to use to define it. Um, and they all point to like the same idea, concept, essence, being God, um, whatever you want to call it, whatever religion we're talking about. Um, I believe it's all the same type of thing. It's just the divine, we'll call it. Um, and so I have always been drawn to earth-based religions. Um, and when we went to Standing Rock um, mm. at Park, I learned how much that stuff actually valued and gave me such life and hope, um, inspiration, just joy. Um, and yeah, but as someone who was like also learning about like race, race and racial reconciliation, et cetera, I was like, I don't know how to like have this faith as a white person. Um, so the way I lean into my earth-based spirituality, I draw a lot from paganism. Um, so I use that as a, as a, as a, as a tool. Um, I'm really into Hinduism right now. Okay. Um, part of my thesis will be written on Hinduism. Come on. Um, and yeah, Kali is, 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 is the deity that I, is I, that I, uh, pray to and like look to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, religion is a, is a tool to reach the divine. And no one tool is better than the other. No one is correct. No one is wrong. Yeah. Um, it's based on culture, context, experience, um, your own brain functioning, the way your body feels, mm. um, all these different sources and ways of knowing. Um, and so where that comes into play with your second question is, well, as particularly in Christianity, I can't speak too much to other religions. Um, but you know, Christianity is the way. Um, and so if you see that all religions are essentially this pointing to the same thing, but then someone else is like, no, I says, I don't have, Oh, I'm getting tongue tied. It's all good. Take your time. Um, yeah. If it's, if you see something as only one way uh -huh. and someone comes and says, actually, no, there's multiple ways. It throws your entire world upside down and you'll go through an identity crisis. I mean, that's, that's what happened to me. Yeah. I was suddenly like, Oh shit. <laughs> Everything I've been told is wrong. Um, and I, yeah. So it's an issue because suddenly all this evangelizing and things you've been selling to people, you're like, oh, I've been wrong. So not only are you going through an identity crisis, but you realize you've been telling people the wrong information and you've been wrong and misleading them. Um, hmm. And then you have to admit that you have to admit that to yourself. And I believe you have to admit that to some extent to other people or the public or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know? And I'm I'm still in that process. Like I am have a, a blog idea to write on that's like to all my high school teachers and peers. Like, I'm sorry, I saw you as nothing more than an evangelical agenda. And my relationship with you was more about converting you than it was about getting to know you. Mm. Um Yeah. So yeah. Um there was a train of thought I had and I lost it. 
It's okay. It'll come back. Come um, back. But yeah, so where I'm at theologically, just whatever suits me fits well. So the the so I'm at a church right now that they call themselves a progressive Christian ministry. They are predominantly Christian, mm-hmm. but they allow me to speak there. I've spoken there four times now. That's awesome. I um, love it. So like they're they're very welcoming and opening. Obviously, there's room for improvement. But one of those things is like they openly say no switch and bait. Like we're just here to learn about God. Um, they don't care if you believe in the divine Jesus or the resurrection, like what, anything of that. Um, but at this, we're doing this, we did a series on James. Um, so all about, uh, faith works, works of faith. Okay. My whole thing was that a faith that works is a faith that works for you. Um, and for me, one of the examples I gave was that like in Hinduism, I find inspiration and motivation to continue. I find resiliency and hope in Judaism. I find challenge and growth in Christianity. Um, and I find wisdom and connection from earth-based religions. Mm. Um, and so I find a way to, you know, marry all of those in my life. Um, so, yeah. Well, no, I love that. And, and, and how, how's the reception to that at that particular place? And I'd be curious too, at the, at the seminary that you're at. Um, at the place it's been, the the church has been very good. Um, I had one, like a bunch of people have reached out to me. Um, most of them just like, thank you for sharing, like keep sharing. Um, one person, cause I mentioned, I don't believe in the divine Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And she was like, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's on vacation now, so we haven't had com- any conversations yet. Um, but it's been well received there, okay. um, which felt really good because I haven't had a chance to really share my story of the church and like the harm the church has done because that's not typically received well. Um, and so, yeah. And in terms of my seminary, I have some issues with my seminary. Um, I take a lot of schools. We're a consortium of schools and I take a lot of classes um, at other centers and schools that we're associated with. Mm -hmm. Um, This place isn't as academically challenging as I need or wanted. Um, So I kind of stray away, but I've kind of had a mix um, of things. I feel like when I'm at a school that is not a Christian religion, yeah, um, or I was in one school, one that was a, at the Jesuit school and it was on Earth spirituality. Okay. In those classes, I can say basically whatever I want and it's received. When I come to the evangelical or the more Protestant um, schools, it's not always received well, and I like hold back because I kind of I suss out the class and the professors before I like really engage. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm not gonna get into it with people who clearly don't want to have a conversation and are just stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had one class where it just felt like every single week people were trying to spiritually bypass the issues of the world. Um. I chose this class because we were reading really great books. We were, um, I mean, as far as I knew, um, we weren't just reading white authors. We weren't just reading, you know, one age group. Um, But the problem came in was that we only talked about the books by the white, older, mystical women. We didn't talk about any other book in class. And I don't know how that happened. But anyway, needless to say, 
everyone was all about like transcending and being above everything and being above labels. Um, and the specific example is that this one person was like, as a queer trans person, I don't believe you have to have the right pronouns all the time. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, I was like, in your perspective, okay, I understand. I understand labels are like, you don't need to have a label for everything and can be, I don't know, challenging or uh, restricting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that also invalidates the the story and the history of people. Um, and so it's just like people were just trying to be so above everything that they forgot what reality was. And I'm all about like, no, we need to learn how to live and suffer like the people we're trying to care for. Otherwise, we can't care for them. Mm. Um, and it's like they're trying to go into these communities, heal, help however they can. But because they found Jesus um, or whatever, they're better and they know better. But you can't know better if you don't even know where to start and what's happening to begin with. They just assume they know. Um, so it wasn't so it was a mix. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a mix of things. Um, but a lot of spiritual bypassing is something I've learned is that a lot of people use religion to just not look at the hardships of their personal life and other people's lives, and it ends up just causing more harm. Okay. So, that's deep. That spiritual bypass. I've, I've not heard that in, in regards to just how that's used. Um, so would that be something like, you know, people overlooking, you know, components of identity, components of oppression and, and whatnot? Or, or yeah, I've, I've been, I'm yeah. just I'm curious how that because I, I, I not I'd not heard that. So I'm, I'm very curious with that definition and terminology. Yeah. Um, so it'd be like. For instance, growing up, it'd be, oh, you're depressed. You have suicidal ideation. Well, give it, give it to God. Give it over yeah. to God. God okay. will fix it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yes. And um, which everything, I'm just, I'm all about that yes and theology. Yeah. yeah. Um, or sometimes the no and theology. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. So when it comes to like race and identity, um, what I found, particularly in this class at the time, I was um, dating someone who um, below the poverty line, undocumented, below the poverty line, um, not in a good situation in life. And so I was just learning so much from her um, and obviously brought that into my classes. Mm -hmm. And um what I saw people saying was like, oh, if you use violence, period, you're a bad person. Um, even in the context of like, they didn't say self-defense, but it was like, well, maybe it depends. Like how, why did you need to do the self-defense or, you know, thinking about like poverty, like, oh, well, they just need to have money and like a place to live or whatever. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> We got a place to live. Yeah. We're giving them money. They're not a charity case. They're human beings with individual problems and systemic issues that can't just be solved by building a building and giving them meals. Is that helpful? <laughs> yes. Right. 
But there's so much more to it. And thinking you can just go in and have a conversation with people and make them a Christian is going to heal them and help their situation and change the systems. You're kidding yourself. Like, just stop. Um, and I couldn't get past that that level. So I couldn't even be like, OK, but like, how do you see that this the systems we have in place are keeping people of color under rep, under under rep, whatever that phrase is. Um, And so, yeah, they just be like, well, well, God's got it. Well, God will figure it out. Well, like, Mm -hmm. okay, but what is God telling you to do? You're the hands and feet of God, right? God's just not going to do it. You have to do something, Mm -hmm. Um, which is also why I like other religions, because especially paganism um, and like witchcraft, it's all about like you have to put in the effort. You have to put in the work. It's not like when people think of witchcraft, they're like, oh, this magical spell happens. And it's like, no, you set a very strict intention. It's like a very symbolic goal setting. Um, and so when we do spells or manifest, we're not just a, that word is way overused now. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> it's there. I know I hear it a lot. It's a hashtag now. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not just like, I manifest abundance in my life. It's like, no, I'm like setting a very like intentional thing to do in my life um, to reach a goal that I have. Um, And I know it's going to take time and I have to put in the effort, but it's like so many of the Christian people I've run into in my life think that they don't actually have to put in the work that things will just happen. And that that's not the way life works. And that's not the way God works. Um, I feel like the God I see, um, particularly the Christian God, when I'm thinking in that context, um, I think of a process theology. Um, okay, come on. So the idea that, you know, God can change and God is growing too. Um, not to, that doesn't take away any of the divinity, that doesn't take away any of the power or whatever word you want to say. It's just saying like, God's not human. God can't understand humans as well as we think. So yes, God created humans, but God also created free will and systems that just kind of run on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe I don't think God's perfect. I don't know. I'm still figuring it all out. I can't say I've done that much research into process theology, but the idea that God is still growing and growing with us um, is apparent. Parents don't get it right 100% of the time. But I still look up to my parents. I still see them as role models. I still can lean on them for support and help. Um, But they're still growing and learning. And so is God. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. No, I love that. This is this is really good. I, and I love that. Again, you're sharing this again. This is this is a great conversation because I think that there's so much more expansive <laughs> thought um, in this rather than just coming back to the same old, same old tried and true. And, 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 and yeah. what people feel like is tried and true. And but it's it's like the theological I've said this for years, like the theological highway has run out on, well, just give it to Jesus, just give it to the Lord. And it's like, well, what is like you said, what is the work with that? And I feel like we're still spinning some in the, some of the same directions, but just mm-hmm. it just may be a church with more candles or it may be a church with a pastor with more tattoos and piercings, but it's still the same, <laughs> still the same theology. Right. Um, so yeah. in that in mind, I mean, here we are uh, 
Black History Month, February, all this good stuff. But, you know, we've, what was it, it, it the, the number that I read a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's already been, what, 33 mass killings and stuff yeah. like that. We're... <sighs> That's ridiculous. I know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. In in two major ones in you know in your state, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. California, which has, I think, it, at least one of them was like in San Francisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. Up in up in that area, which you know, obviously California has some of the strictest gun laws, um, you know, in in the country. Um, so I'd be curious, like, where where do you see yourself in this kind of twenty twenty three era that we find ourselves in? You got climate change. I mean, this is one of the hottest or warmest winters, for example, in Chicago on record. Uh, you know, it's mid-February and we're almost in the 50s, right? <laughs> so, oh, my um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. We haven't really had that much snowfall either. So I'm like, OK, is this now becoming the norm? How is this going to affect crops and in the, in the food yeah. chain? But I'd be curious what your thoughts are living in... California, different area, especially the Bay Area, the expensive Bay Area. I don't know how you survive just on that alone, because that place is ain't, ain't no joke, man. Subsidized housing and <laughs> student homes. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so I have lived in California the entire time. Uh, I moved here in August 2020. OK, um, we have been in a drought the entire time. And I think we can now officially say we're out of a drought. Don't quote me on that. But we have gotten more rain than I have seen the entire time since I've been here, which is great. But because we've been in a drought, that means mudslides and flooding because the ground is not used to it. Um, And I think that's something that people don't realize that even when we get back, quote unquote, to where we were, because we haven't been where the earth should be for so long, it's going to still cause disasters and and things that are, things are going to be uprooted. Um, and like I live, I have redwood trees, coastal redwoods in my backyard. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, all right. Look at you. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I love um, it. And like, I'm going to speak to climate change because that's the one I know the best. Yes. The thing I know yes. The best. So like, Redwood trees are resilient as fuck. Like they are, can withstand like super high temperatures of fire. They can withstand wind. Um, Their root systems are all, I mean, all trees root systems are all connected. Um, You have like the mycelium. This is, this is the stuff I love. Yes. Um, (laughs) um, Trees are beautiful. I love them. They are the only thing I need in my life spiritually. If I could only choose one thing, I'd choose trees. They're talking to each other. That's that's what I'm hearing oh, now. Yeah. yeah, so there's this mycelium, which is a fungus. It's uh, mushrooms. It's uh, underneath the ground. Like there's like what, like just underneath your foot, there's like upwards of a thousand different connections. And so trees all share nutrients and resources through that. And there's also like, I, I can't remember what it's called, but there's like trees and things that'll send out like, toxins and stuff to like get other species out so like trees are competing for each other through that as well as sustaining each other so if this one area doesn't have a lot of water or nutrients they can draw it from this other area that's been getting a lot of rain um super cool redwoods also are asexual so they pretty much all have the same dna um and they just drop their seeds um but 
Anyway, going back to what I was saying, yeah, redwood yeah, trees yeah, are yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what people don't understand is that because of the poor air quality um, and the like, you know, all the carcinogens and like things are putting into the environment through plastics and, you know, whatever else we have, it is changing the DNA and the structure of our plants. Mm-hmm. So they're not as resilient or as strong as they used to be. So we're seeing that redwoods are burning faster, falling down easier um, than they used to. So we think, oh, well, the redwoods will survive. No, they're not gonna survive because we're destroying the very air they breathe. When you destroy the air you breathe, you destroy the thing that's breathing that air, which includes us. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I gave a sermon on that. That was my very first sermon I gave at the church was on climate change. Um. And it like, oh, I'm trying not to lose hope when I hear you say it's 50 degrees in February. Um, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Um, I grew up, you know, and we'd have like multiple snow days a year. And now it gets so cold. Well, or not right now, but it was getting so cold that snow days didn't exist and cold days existed. So cold where you couldn't stand at a bus stop for more than three minutes. So they canceled school. Yeah. And, you know, lightning bugs or fireflies, whatever you want to call them. I used to be able to catch like multiple in my hands. Now I'm lucky if I catch one. Mm -hmm. These are all effects of climate change. We don't think they are. We don't think we can notice climate change. But the thing is, we're just already accustomed to what climate change has happened and done to our world. Um, And so between that, all of the mass shootings, police brutality, which... I just can't even, I just can't even, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's hard to, to keep hope and keep going. Um, and I'm someone who like, I, I love fighting and social justice and making sure people are cared for individually, locally, as you know, as best as I can, but there's only so much I can do and there's only so much I can say. Um, and so yeah trying to find that like that hope and that thing to like keep me going um but also keep it real is is a hard line to walk yeah 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 that's real that's real i'm finding that too with just a lot of different things um whether it be components of climate change police terrorism um you know the Mm. ongoing struggle to just uh, assert One's just humanity, right? And being, I mean, you think about uh, DeSantos and what, you know, he's trying to do in Florida, uh, the deterioration of just history, uh, you know, seeing a, 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 an ongoing, um, I would say flood and wave of students that, you know, barely even know anything about multi-ethnic history, let alone African-American history or just any components of that. And I'm talking about, other African-American students, right, who haven't even read a James Baldwin, anything, and never even known who really I Frederick... Okay, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, yeah. or Frederick Douglass, right? It's like, and they know the one quote from MLK, but I'm like, dude, we're, we're, we're way off course here. So... Yeah. What do you, what do you do to, to stay sane and, and to stay, you know, um... 
above water, as they say, or not. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm genuinely asking a question. Yeah. I don't know. And, I, and I'm not asking for the toxicity that comes with, you know, we have to always be positive and and give oh, yeah. structure. No, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm just I'm genuinely asking the question. Um, Lots of different things. Um, Depends on my mood. Depends on what I'm going through. Um, So the three main things I do for myself and for my mental health, um, which are pretty much daily, um, multiple times a week, the gym. I'm, I'm a gym rat through and through. Um, <laughs> I see your videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, hitting a lot of PRs lately. Um, that cannabis. Um, I am, I'm wearing a cannabis shirt right now. I love it. Um, and therapy. Um, currently doing IFS therapy to work through a lot of trauma. Um, absolutely love it. And I actually want to pursue that. Um, so, and like when I say cannabis, also just other psychedelics, um, as well. Um, which was one of my like phrases is drugs saved me from religion. Um, okay. So those are the thing, main things I do to keep myself sane. Um, Yeah, I'll just keep it at that. The short rant, the short answer. I won't ramble on again. <laughs> Please ramble on. No, I think that's great. I mean, you said that the, the phrase that you said, "drugs saved me from religion." That's that's powerful. I mean, I don't think that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Like that, that we just don't hear enough of. Uh, and 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 what, like you said, psychedelics can do, especially in the realm of trauma, embodied trauma, and 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 what particularly i'll just say it you know evangelicalism has done uh to rot um people's minds mm -hmm. and, and worldviews and ideologies which is why i'm not when somebody was like oh well you know we should work together on how to you know evangelism and and bringing kids back into the i'm like look i i ain't no i ain't, I ain't that anymore that's what's wrong right <laughs> we're trying to bring yes um yeah. So psychedelics, um, my thesis is actually on the role. So entheogens are, is the term for basically psychoactive substances in religion. Okay. Um, so it's substances, psychoactive substances that are used for a religious or spiritual purpose. So, um, in, uh, like Mexico, Central America, we see peyote, um, psilocybin are the two main ones. Um, Indigenous cultures in Northern America, we see psilocybin and tobacco. Um, cannabis is pretty much worldwide focused, I would say, from my research on um, Asia area um, and Middle East, but also even up into Europe. Um, just depends on like the strain as in terms of like indica or sativa. Um, and then like Iboga, um, West Africa uh, or Central Africa. Come on, I gotta, I gotta do some more research. Um, ayahuasca. So all of these things are spiritual um, okay. in nature. And that's the thing I'm trying to bring up is that like, yes, they have, a, they're, they're great for healing. They're great for addiction. Um, my own story, I've had issues with alcohol abuse. Um, I wouldn't really consider myself an alcoholic, but you kind of could, I could kind of see how you could say that. Um, but yeah, that's my own story there. Um, 
yeah, like wonderful healing properties all around, just self-worth, self-esteem, healing from trauma, addiction, um, you name it, psychedelics can help in some way. Um, and I lost my train of thought again. Oh my gosh. I do this all the time. So sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, it's all good. I think the, the, I, yeah, I think the notion around right, psychedelics and it's becoming it's, at least where, where, where I'm at, it's becoming um, a little bit more socially acceptable to 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 talk about that rather than it being kind of this. Ooh, you're going to go get high or whatever. It's it, you know, what I'm saying, I mean, um, it's a it's a yeah. So. I'll just talk more about like the use of psychedelics in religion. Oh, I remember my train of thought. There you go. Come on. <laughs> um, so what I'm trying to do with psychedelics um, is bring the theological perspective or like um, anthropological perspective okay. um, as well. And that is giving value and credit and appreciation for where the substance came from. And so um, I'm starting my own program in business, um, mental health coaching, little self plug, um, using fitness and cannabis um, and someday other entheogens um, as I learn more and become more comfortable with the substances. Um, but in my programs and what I want to do is say, hey, you're not going to take this substance unless you know the history of this substance. You're not going to smoke cannabis unless you know how it was used by the Adivasi and yogic traditions in Hinduism. You're not going to use psilocybin unless you understand who Maria Sabina is and how Gordon Wasson and these other white people went down to Mexico and destroyed a community. You're not going to learn about ayahuasca unless you know that um, the proper way to boil it um, and that you have to be outside of a room for a certain number of time because just the chemicals in the air are toxic. You're not going to know these things unless you know the value and the place they had in the indigenous cultures and communities that they were in. And I have every right to not give you that substance if you don't understand that. Mm. Damn. Um, and that is something that they will sign off on. If I don't feel they're ready for the substance because they're not respecting the culture it came from, I won't give it to you. Hmm. Um because I don't want people to just think you can go willy nilly taking these substances for fun. Um, I think there's a place for recreation and um, particularly with cannabis, it's just something I've kind of had to accept that like it's legalized um, enough and well spread enough that like it's a capitalistic substance. Now it's in the corporate world can't really do anything about that, um, which is also why I am not for legalization of substances. I'm for decriminalization and that's it. I don't want it to be legal because I don't want it to be taken by more um, greedy, white patriarchal people just for money. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, there's actually someone at UC Davis right now trying to extract the psilocybin chemical um, without it being psychoactive so they can use it which I believe is wrong. Um, if you're trying, like, it's just, you're taking something that has been used to for healing, coming of age rituals, um, spiritual enlightenment, and you're trying to just make it into a treatment that you don't have to go through any of the side effects or any of the fear. Because part of the process is, is the fear of having a bad trip, is the fear of seeing something that is terrifying or going to re-traumatize you. Yeah. That's part of the process. Um, and just taking that out kind of defeats the whole purpose. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I don't know if you want to speak, if you want me to speak more about like how I got into it in my own story, I totally can as well. No, but. I'd love to. I'd love to. I think, I think folks want to hear that. I mean, cause I'd be curious cause it, it, you know, with that and, and whatnot, cause I've heard that from folks. It's like, man, I don't want to have a bad trip. I don't want to see something or experience something that I think is so real or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. Yeah. Um, which is also why I think recreationally these substances can be dangerous. If you don't know the substance, um, then you're going to have a hard time with it. And if you don't have someone with you guiding, having a babysitter or a guide um, who is sober or, you know, predominantly sober, I'm not going to tell you how to run your life, but, you know, it's an important aspect. Um, but I, I moved to California. So I started, I was always like anti-drug everything. I, I've always okay. been like oddly interested in drugs and substances. Like I wrote a research paper in high school on the zero tolerance policy. All right. <laughs> Obviously pro zero tolerance policy then. Um, I've just done a lot of random things um, with it in my life. And so it just feels like this is the path I'm supposed to be on. But I moved to California um, where it is more socially acceptable and I work at a dispensary now. Um, and just started smoking a lot, learning about the plant and the substance, and then um, got introduced to shrooms and I started microdosing. And that is when I made the most, um, when I when I went through the most healing um, and learned how to like really love myself and my body and have boundaries for like the mm. first time in my life. Okay. Um, and work through that trauma and realize, oh, what this person did was wrong. What this person said was not right. Um, and actually letting myself grieve and feel my trauma in my body for the first time ever. And I don't just mean like my pastor outing me. I've um, content trigger warning been raped and sexually assaulted more times than fingers I have. Oh, God. Um, so a lot to go through that I never really let my body actually feel and experience. It was just all a mental healing that I did. Um just very like I did very cognitive therapy um, and I didn't let myself feel it. And so this whole embodiment movement I'm all about and um, psychedelics can help you to do that, to help you feel and understand your body. Um, and having a bad trip doesn't mean you're not going to get something out of it. It means in that experience, in that time, it was hard and it was rough and we'll process that together. But what is your mindset? Is your mindset, I had a bad trip, I can't learn anything from this, I'm never going to do it again? Or is your mindset, well, okay, let's learn from this. Why was it a bad trip? What triggered me to have that bad trip? Um, I had, for example, I was um, smoking with um, a classmate who hadn't smoked a lot um, or had it was familiar with cannabis, but not super familiar. And it was more of a casual thing. It wasn't like a, I'm guiding you through anything. But I had him over to my apartment um, and he was keeping up with me. Um, and I I can go through an entire eighth in a day or more if I really wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he just kept going and I wasn't thinking like I was passing him the joining. He just kept going. 40 minutes later, he was gone. Um, and we were like in this conversation and he um, something came up about a medical condition that I just, whatever was in our conversation and it hit home for him. He knows mm -hmm. someone who had like a heart condition and was like struggling or had recently passed with it. And that, that triggered him. Um, and he said, let's not talk about that anymore. And I was like, perfect. Great. We won't talk about that anymore. Um, 
but he couldn't get himself out of it. Um, okay. Which in part was because he had had too much. Um, and so like, you know, post that it was learning like, Hey, I had a bad trip, not because I, A, because I smoked too much, my doses were just too high, and B, I was triggered by something that was brought into the conversation. Um, so part of consuming these substances in the preparation, it's in setting an intention, it's understanding that these things might cause me to have a reaction. How do we prevent those things from entering our conversation, our mind? And if they do enter, how what steps are we gonna take to get you back, uh, to, to ground you back to normal, let's say. Um, so yeah, like it's not just, I take the substance and you're good. There's preparation, there's the actual journey, and then there's integration or meaning-making. Um, better word I like is more meaning-making than integration. Um, but yeah, um, so like bad trips are, they're terrifying, they're scary, like they are. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't learn from them and grow from them, grow from them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this is great. I love this. <laughs> this is, I'm glad you're able to kind of put this into layman's terms. Cause I think there's people out there who really are considering that. And again, with the more, the popularity of it, I think it's like you said, there's, there's, there's very little respect, right? When some, when something becomes, goes from a cultural standing and in a space where it's been for thousands of years or hundreds of years. And yeah. then all of a sudden becomes mass marketed. Uh, the soul really gets lost. Right. And, um, and that's happened in almost everything. Right. I mean, it's something that I've talked mm -hmm. about with hip hop. It's something that I've talked about with even people who were started like organic food movements. It's like once they started being sold in target in Walmart, it was a whole different situation. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that you can break that down and, and, and talk about that because um, I, I, I've, I've had another guest on here who, who, who's, you know, big on psychedelics as well and and talks about just kind of, you know, the freeing power of that, um, you know, and leaning into it. I mean, and leaning into some of the mess that's in this. So I appreciate, you know, that that perspective um, and how, you know, when we, you know, bringing it back like to parents and, and whatnot. I mean, how has your friend group change stay the same with where you're oh. at now <laughs> <laughs> oh whew. it has changed a lot um i will say moving in the middle of a pandemic Ooh. to an institution that is not as academically rigorous or socially justice aware as they made themselves seem has been very challenging because it means i'm sometimes teaching my professors and that's annoying yeah. um but um, the friends I have now in person here, um, are friends that are pretty much stoners and in this, um, psychedelic drug world and understand it. Um, but on the reverse side, they're not really religious or understand spirituality. Um, so it's kind of this like weird off balance. Um, and as I said earlier, like my friends from high school and growing up and in college too, um, yeah the friendships I had were based in Christianity yeah. it was because we were both Christians and practice the same faith. And so those relationships have kind of dissolved um, mostly just because I can't speak to you the same way. And I don't agree with the way you're going about life. Mm -hmm. I 
know, so I, I've had to pull back. Um, and in terms of like high school relationships, I'm really working on trying to bring those back to a place where it comes from genuinely wanting to get to know them and care for them and love them and not convert them to be a Christian. Um, which I'm still doing and have really just started. Um, so yeah, I have done a complete 180 and I can't, I can't have friendships the same way I used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I think about like my family relationships, um, those have gotten stronger. Um, my, I was really the religious one in my family. Um, now I, ha- I have one sister who's pretty religious now, and now she's kind of the black sheep, um, which is funny that the religious person is the black sheep in my family. Um, that is funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like those relationships have grown stronger. Um, and what I've just learned is that like the people that are there to support you and love you are there to support you and love you period. They don't, they don't care if you, you know, are advocating for psychedelics or advocating for Christianity. Um, not that those, they're not like distinct from each other. Like they can be blended very well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm only 27 years old, but like, I just feel like I can't, I, I don't know. How, how do I say this? I like the relationships I have are people who understand religion the same way as me. If you are a person who is religious and spiritual in my life, you have to understand religion the same way for me to me to truly have a deep relationship with you. We can have like a good friendship acquaintance thing, but I'm very picky about who I'm friends with now. And sometimes yeah. it gets lonely because it's, there's yeah. not a lot of people out there who understand drugs the same way I do and um, understand religion the same way I do. Um, and for me, those two go hand in hand. Um, my spirituality is heavily based on my um, use of substances. Um especially with like trauma and not being able to like practice religion in a way that I used to or want to, um, because it brings me back to this place where I was manipulating and gaslighting other people. Um, and so for me, like cannabis particularly, um, has been a way for me to engage in my spirituality without those triggers and reminders of, uh, the harm that's been done to me and that I've done to others. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's real. And, and that's, you know, a a great and complex response to that. I mean, I, I, and I hear you on the loneliness. I mean, I think that's just it, right? It's like, that's, that's part of my own lament of, 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 you know, as you evolve, so to speak, uh, in, in any area, right? I mean, it's like, you know, folks can't oftentimes move past the, the basic one-on-one conversations um, and yeah. uh, and can wrap their head around, oh my gosh, like what psychedelics, like what a, what a holy moly. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm glad, I'm glad that's, and again, this is, I'm so glad we've, we've had this conversation because I think that that's, 
an important part of just the spiritual journey uh, in general. Um, break down real quick, just because I'm sure there's somebody say, wait, witchcraft. Break that down for for for, for people. Uh, when 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 you when you talk about that and engaging that, you talk about spells. Break that down, shuck and jive that a little bit uh, for us. Because, yeah. again, that's another thing, right, that has a really negative connotation with people mm -hmm. uh, within religious uh, communities. Yeah. Um, so witchcraft is often associated with Satanism, two different things. And also, I will say Satanism, actually, if you look at their seven principles, a lot of them align with Christianity pretty darn well, if not perfectly. Oh, come on. So, I couldn't list them to you, but if you just go search it, you'll see them and you'll be like, oh, no harm done to others. Okay. Live your life the best. I don't know. Like, it's just so, A, do your do your research and educate yourself before you go saying anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, witchcraft, paganism, kind of used synonymously. Um, I do. Um, but they're not necessarily synonymous because you can be a practicing witch and not practice or, or yeah, practice towards a deity. You don't have to have a deity in witchcraft. Also, Wicca is a form of witchcraft mm -hmm. that specifically worships um, and looks to two different gods, one for the winter, one for the summer, um, one female or feminine, one masculine. Um so I don't do that because I just do what if sometimes I'm feeling a deity, sometimes I'm not. Right now, I'm really into Kali and Persephone. If you asked me this question five months ago, I would have been actually I'm taking a break from spirituality because I was getting too obsessed with it. So I had to pull back mm. um, because I get too obsessive. So I have to, like, take that balance and stop. Sometimes. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real. Um, but yeah, so spells, let me just give you an example of a spell I did um, recently. So it was for a new moon. Um, I follow the moon cycles pretty, I mean, not, not religiously, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but enough where it's part of my spiritual practice. So the yeah. new moon um, is a good time to release and let go. It's for new beginnings and stuff. Whereas full moon is like envisioning, starting new things, like really things coming to fruition. Um, and for you, um, uterus owning people, full moon would uh, coincide with like ovulation. So when you're ovulating, mm. not saying that you're going to on the full moon, you're ovulating. Um, sometimes it's the opposite. But like just saying going with the full moon and where my cycle is has done wonders for me. So if it's something you're interested in, um, I would suggest it anyway. <laughs> um So I did this uh, spell. Um, you could also just call it a ritual. Like, I call it a spell because it's in witchcraft and because I like to say things that irk people and confuse them and make them angry. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I so do I. That's what I like about you. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I remember I identified as pansexual because I wanted the opportunity to educate people instead of saying bisexual. Um which now I just say queer anyway. So I was doing this spell and it consisted of writing a letter to someone um, and writing down the things I wanted to let go of and like get out of my life. And so I wrote those down and I also used some like uh, colors depending on like what it was supposed to do. Okay. So um, it's pretty self-explanatory, but green is often like abundance. Um, 
Purple is more like spiritual, like higher consciousness. White is like purity um, type of thing. So I sometimes use that in there too, if it's appropriate. But what I did was then take these papers and I kind of reflected and meditated on them, read them through a couple of times. And I had like a, a thing that I said as I put them in a bowl and then lit them on fire. Um, and after that, after the fire burned down and the papers were just ashes, I added some water that I had moon water. So I got water from one of the bays and I, during a full moon, I put it out to charge it. So to like cleanse it and clear it and make yeah. it, those energies um, go away. And I took that and I poured it into the bowl and I made this little like um, uh, paste with it. Yeah. I put that on my feet and my hands um, and then I washed it away with more of that water. So I like to think of it as like intense symbolism in mm -hmm. a ritual um, with intention and purpose. And I'm someone who's all about intention. If you don't put the intention in, you're not going to get the result you wanted or hoped for. Um, on, the, on the flip side, don't expect it to happen. Um but so when I say witchcraft, that's what I mean. I mean, using elements and um, things that everyday objects that people wouldn't see as something you can use um, to help you achieve a goal or healing, but because you put the intention in it and you see the symbolism and the purpose and the meaning behind that object or objects, it helps you to release or get abundance or whatever it is you're going for yeah. every year i make mold wine around the holidays and i use like the cinnamon for money and then the anise for protection and then the oranges for happiness and i drink it and it's just i don't know if it's doing anything i don't know if it's a placebo effect maybe all of religion is just a placebo but guess what <laughs> if it works it fucking works come on <laughs> come on so, Ooh, yeah, that is God damn. That's deep right there, man. I love it. You say 27, but I feel like I'm talking to a, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a sage leveled uh, person. So I, I have appreciated your, your insight and you sharing and just being an open book, which is honestly one of the things that I have known about you. Uh, and, and to say that I've known you since you, I think was 17 when you first came into that classroom, cause you were, yeah. you was a youngin, right? You was a youngin and here, what was that 10 years? Has it been 10 years? Jesus Christ in heaven. Yeah, it has. Um, it's time flies. So I'm, I, you know, I'm thankful that we've stayed connected, uh, through this and we didn't even get a chance to talk about microaggressions, which was like your whole no. senior <laughs> thesis. Oh, um, well, Melanie, what, uh, uh, where can folks find you? Let's say they were like, look, we're ready to, 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 to hire this person. We want to bring them out. We, 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 you know, we want to pay them eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year and you give them a little signing bonus. Where can folks find you and, and, and come um, grab you, snap you up? <laughs> yeah. Well, a, everything that I do is a sliding scale. Um, at some point I have to say, no, I'm still learning, like, charging my worth, but also I don't want to charge people for services that have every basic human right to deserve. Like everyone should be, have access to a personal trainer, to a mental health coach, mm. period. Um, and I'm not a therapist. Um, maybe someday I'll get that degree. Um, 
but I like to say I'm a mental health coach with therapy leanings. Um, so I help you with the healing, but I also really just give you practical things. Um, but yeah, everything's a sliding scale. Um, I work with you. I figure it out. So if you think you can't afford it, let me know because I'll work with you. Um, if I don't make anything, I don't make anything. I'm here for you, not for me. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at, you know, okay. I got hacked. So let me look it up real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember when you got um, hacked. Cause you, you, yeah, it was all, one day you were starting to offer me Bitcoin services. And I was like, yeah. wait, I don't think that's what? <laughs> Melanie anymore. Oh. So it is Mel Bell, M-E-L-B-E-L-L underscore nine, eight, nine, five. It's a picture of me in a, it'll actually probably be the same picture that it is that Dan's going to use. Um, but it's the one that has less posts and like only 200 followers. There's another one that has me like kickboxing. That's the hacked account. Don't follow that account. Okay. All right. Report block it. Um, that's the best way to get to me. I'm not on Twitter. I've never been a Twitter person. That's good. Um, but yeah, that's that's where you can find me. And I've kind of been in a social media hiatus, but I'm trying to, to pick that up more. Um, but yeah, if you are interested in learning about cannabis, just general 101 drug education, um, what I want, I'm thinking in one marketing is truth, you know, instead of dare. Um, ah, look at that. <laughs> so, Yeah. I got that. I got personal training. I got mental health coaching, just starting all of those businesses. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I'm with that. And do you have a blog? I know you were talking about starting oh. one and I know you've had one in the past, but I wasn't, if the, if the link's in there or you have a link tree, I can put that in the show um, notes as well. The The link to my whole website is in my Instagram. It's just my first and last name.com. Okay. Got it. Um, I've been, inactive on there for a while currently trying to revamp it and get that going again but yeah you can get more of my story and stuff there i leave all, all of the blogs that i've written are still up there even I, though i disagree with some of them and think they're they're weird and i don't like them i want people to see where i've come from that's deep that that's deep that's deep okay all right i'm with that and again as always for those listening i'll put those in the show notes whitearchpodcast.com go to profane faith and you'll find all those there um melanie thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and day and just sharing your life and opening up i really appreciate that it means a lot thank you thank you so much for having me the Chapel Probation Podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities, focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us.